We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Welcome to Sideline Sanity, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, Jordan Schachtel. Have you read him on Substack? We're going to talk about Ukraine and COVID and Anthony Fauci. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. I am a fervent reader of Substack, and I find all these fascinating writers, and Jordan Schachtel is one of them. He writes for the dossier on Substack. You should check it out. I'll tweet it out later, but go look for it for yourself. Uh, Jordan, thank you for being with us. How did you wind up at Substack? Yeah, thanks for having me, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So in in short, it was a, um, I've been working in kind of like right of center uh, press world for a, a solid decade now. And, you know, I was building my following on social media and I thought the time was right to become totally independent. Um, as much as I loved, you know, my previous experiences, I, I just, I, I really enjoy being my own boss and, and Substack really helps empower that. So I, I much appreciate that. Yeah, it really does. Why did you want to be independent? I mean, I, I think we all like this notion of being our own boss, working on our own schedules. Was there anything beyond that? Were there any constraints for you prior to going to Substack? Yeah, there, there's always constraints. Um, and it kind of just de- depends on what uh, you know your personality is, what you're trying to achieve with, with what you're writing. I, I think it's, it's extremely important for especially young writers and journalists and reporters to have editors and people overseeing their work. But I think there comes a point in time where you become comfortable enough um, in this space where you think you, you can still kind of be you can be your own boss. And you can also, if, if need be, you can hire people to look over your work and whatnot or to, to help you with your efforts. But uh, I think it was just for me that the time the time was right to move on. It wasn't any uh, ideological grievances or anything like that. It, it just seemed like uh, in order to be fully in control of your product. And I think it helps people get their best product out is when you're 100% responsible for for the title, for the writing, for the editing, for you know whatever podcasting you're doing or video work. I, I, I think it's very empowering. And um, I, I think it provides my best product when I'm working for myself. It's it's fascinating and good for you. And it takes some guts to make that step. And mm-hmm. You know, you've you've been. I, I want to talk to you about a couple things today. Uh, I'm going to read this headline that you posted: "Current Thing Chaos: 
Biden's sanctions collapse as Ukraine piles up losses and hemorrhages cash. In the very beginning of this war, Russia invading Ukraine, this invasion, we were all kind of, I guess, heartened by the Ukrainian people and their courage and their willingness to stand up to this much larger power. And so the United States and allies were willing to help support this financially. What have you seen lately that makes you maybe a little bit less optimistic? Well, I think that the United States is in a very different position than we were 20 years ago, you know, when this when the whole war on ter- terror really set off and, and the, the role of the U.S. in the context of the greater globe was, you know, they, we had the flexibility to engage in, I guess, what I can deem as poor decision making and yeah. world policing and stuff like that and throwing all this money around. Um, trillions of dollars were spent on Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and I think that the country is in a, in a place right now where it, does, it doesn't have the, the, the fiscal health to be able to police conflicts 5,000 miles away from our shores. So uh, for, for me, I, I think even regardless of, of where you stand morally on who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, are they both bad guys, are they both good guys, uh, and anything in between, I, I think that the role for the U.S. just abroad in general right now should be a very minimal impact and we should really focus on rebuilding at home. So, so I, I think my, my foreign policy views have, have greatly evolved and the way I, I um, discuss the Ukraine conversation is definitely in that context. Yeah, I think a lot of peoples are evolving. What, one of the, th- the things that you just said is spending more money here at home. I think when we see the southern border, border in chaos, when we see a lot of poverty in our own backyards, when we see formula shortages, baby formula shortages, and other shortages, we start to wonder, and gas prices, of course, through the roof, we start to wonder what kind of attention is being paid here at home. And we seem to be very easily spending billions and billions and billions of dollars abroad. Why is that a fair complaint? I mean, of course, we want to see Ukraine succeed. I, At least I do. I would like to see Ukraine succeed. I would like to see them maintain their independence. But at the same time, I do understand that there are lots and lots of Americans in need of support here at home. I think you're exactly right. In an ideal world, everyone has a government that they deserve. But in 2022, nobody has a government that they deserve. So it's worth thinking about that in the context of the Ukraine war, where you have um, a kind of corrupt, small state and what I view as a, a very authoritarian big state that's trying to impose its will on that small state. And I, I just think that it, it, it's it, it, it's very important to distinguish this from some type of like genocide, from some type of like catastrophe akin to, um, you know, the famines during the Soviet Union or, or the Holocaust during World War II. Um, the, the situation in Ukraine is, is unfortunate, but but like, does that mean the U.S. needs to intervene? And, and in my in my estimation, it is absolutely not. It's, it's such a clear case that there there should really be no U.S. involvement. But yet, our 
um, elites in Washington, D.C. continue to send the the government there upwards of like a billion dollars a day. I just read a press release right before we went on air. One point seven billion more for Ukraine. It's just like an endless money spigot right now. Why do you think that's happening? Why, if if there are so so many problems with this, why do you think we're doing it? I think, unfortunately, um, our, our government and its bureaucracy has become very corrupt and deceitful. And this has been a problem for decades, but it's only getting worse. And if you recall, during the Trump years, there was not a new war waged. And I think that that hurt the financial situation of the defense industry. And now it seems that they are using that that lobbying strength to pursue this endless um, resupply mission to Ukraine, which is enormously costly and actually kind of degrades the U.S.'s own stockpile. But I think that you can't overlook the potential that there's some There's a lot of lobbying and there's a lot of congressmen who are really not beholden, but they are on the high priority list of people who can swing votes, get them money. Um, The Washington, D.C. Beltway is very detached from the average American individual. And in the Beltway, you have certain uh, lobbying organizations and the defense industry is notoriously among the most powerful. So I think there's a lot of that going on in terms of all the money that's being thrown around and all the weapons and supplies and whatnot. That's amazing. And I want to make sure I'm clear, clearly hearing you because I've long heard about this military industrial complex, you know, and this notion that the defense industry, which truth be told, my father was a, an aerospace engineer and a lot of what he did had to do with missile systems and so forth. Um, so what you're saying is that they're, Trump years, very peaceful, hurts the defense industry a little bit in that they're not needing to generate new weapons, et cetera. Now they are lobbying to get involved in this so that they can be paid to produce weapons and so forth that are being shipped over to Ukraine. Do I have that right? Yeah. If you look at the history, especially like the the past 10 years of what the Pentagon has been doing in this uh, so-called war on terror is we've been basically like bombing mountains and deserts with all these brand new weapons and it was costing a fortune. And I I think you just cannot um, ignore the financial incentives here and this idea that you see all these old bumper stickers coming back, like the the whole fighting for freedom thing. And it's just it's like it's like a flashback to uh, the post 9-11 days where we had to spend hundreds of billions of dollars for for these ideological efforts and and again, I think the U.S. should just totally get out of that business. And sadly, we have um, defense contractors that don't seem to be, uh, I think they just have a very nefarious agenda at this point. Um, and, and it's just that they are, they're, they're paying off these think tankers, these lobbyists, and Congress listens to them. And it's just like there, there was a new poll, a Monmouth poll that came out the other day about uh, what Americans are prioritizing today. Mm -hmm. And I think the vast majority of them uh, said that it was something related to the economy. Most of them were saying inflation. And I believe it was fewer than 1% said that Ukraine is is the number one issue for them. So it just goes to show, like, why are we spending uh, all of these billions of dollars on Ukraine 
there, there has to be some other incentive going on inside of Washington, D.C., because the average American, uh, it may have cared about this conflict when it first um, went off a few months ago, but it seems that there's just lots of disinterest right now. And with it, with a very difficult economic situation for hundreds of millions of Americans now, uh, it just seems that they couldn't care less uh, about sending uh, the tax, all these taxpayer funds. It's just insane to me. And so as you see it, you've got this poll that suggests that, and maybe people are voicing this a little bit here and there, but how does the average American or, you know, just groups, how do groups of Americans make it clear to Washington that this isn't, this isn't right. And oh, by the way, you know, I, I think when you looked at that same mammoth poll of what do Americans care about, I think border security was fairly significant. So why is that being ignored? Is that just not a money-making pursuit for the United States government? So it, I, I think that again, it, it's, it's a very, it becomes a very ideological outcome, this, this open borders policy, although it does seem to be backfiring because, um, you know, they just elected the first, I think, Mexican-born Republican in Texas. So maybe the people in charge will start to reevaluate whether an open borders policy leads to more Democrat voters. But I think that's really what's going on here is that they, they're, they, if they wanted to secure the border, they could secure the border. The reason why they're not securing the border is because I think they want to bring more people into this country who they believe will vote for this kind of like uniparty ruling class uh, life on welfare that you will own and nothing and be happy. This type of ideology that the, the people in D.C. love. So I think that's why they keep the border open is that they need to kind of um, move more voters into this country and change the the voting numbers so that they will just continue to win uh, majorities every single election cycle. And you know, you I that hear that. Well, you do do that through an open border. And I've heard that, that accusation a lot. And I've heard people push back hard against that accusation. But I want to get into this a little bit more with you after this quick break, because what you said is you will come here, you will own nothing, and you will be happy. I just wonder... Who thinks that possibly is a good idea? So we'll get into that with Jordan Schachtel. Again, it's uh, the dossier on Substack. You want to check it out more in just a second. So the dinner table is a remarkable thing. And when you can get a good group of people around it, enjoying a good meal, you can often solve the world's problems. In fact, it was Ronald Reagan, one of my favorite presidents in history who said all great change in America starts at the dinner table. So why don't you think about changing what you serve for dinner and go to goodranchers.com. I'm telling you, you're going to find the best steaks and chicken and seafood. Good Ranchers delivers a 100% American meat experience to your door. They guarantee you the meat is born, raised and harvested here in the U.S. Not every company can guarantee that, folks. Do some research. So you know where your meal is coming from and who you are supporting. You're already buying meat, so why not support ranchers and farmers here in America? It might feel sometimes like it's impossible to get everyone to the dinner table. So even if there are a couple of you, you can get these single-serve pouches out of your freezer, beef, chicken, seafood, season it up, throw it on the grill, put it in the oven, whatever you do. It's always going to taste great. And it's not like one delivery is good and the next one isn't. 
It's just consistent excellence in flavor and value. Good Ranchers is a company that supports American agriculture and business, and they support us, which I really appreciate. So we love supporting them. Be sure to use my code TAFOYA, T-A-F-O-Y-A, when you go to Good Ranchers to get $30 off your order, plus get free express shipping. You can make gatherings at the table common again with Good Ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it's gone. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Tafoya to start bringing people to the table, creating change in America, and eating seriously delicious food from Good Ranchers. So, Jordan, this notion of allowing people to come across our southern border, come into the country sort of, you know, end up in any number of states, likely at least 48, and then maybe vote Democrat because it was the Democrats in charge that let them come in. But as you said, there's this sort of this flip going along. You mentioned Myra Flores down in Texas becoming the first Republican to overturn a Democratic seat in over 100 years. She's Mexican-born and married to a Border Patrol agent really significant moment down there. Even if you've got Jill Biden in the last 24 hours from us recording this, talking to this Latinx inclusion uh, group, which as a Latina, I do not like the Latinx term. Uh, to me, it's you're a Latino or a Latina. And anyway, that's me personally. This notion that you'll come here, you'll own nothing, we'll take care of you, and you'll be happy. Who does that possibly appeal to? Is there a good portion of the population that just wants to rely on government? Am I am I crazy for thinking that that that, that how could you possibly want to have your life run by somebody else? Uh, I think intuitively it doesn't make sense, but I guess if, if you can psychologically manipulate someone to um, uh, be scared in their home for two years and make sure to wear a mask if they step outside their front door and take endless amounts of pharmaceutical injections. Um, I, I think that people can be convinced that what the government is doing for you is going to protect you, keep you safe and secure, and keep you prosperous and thriving. But certainly you are agreeing to live to a, you know, in, in a hierarchical system where there are people above you and you are among the, the peasant class who is eating bugs and, and living nicely and just getting your government check and everything will be great and utopian. And I think that it's just like, it's a very poisonous mentality because it leads to basically zero human flourishing and this mentality that um, by being present on this earth that you are owed something by the, by the, by the people around you. Um, but I, I guess, you know, the votes don't lie that this mentality certainly does appeal to, I guess, tens of millions of Americans, this idea that, that you will own nothing and be happy. And uh, it, it's a, it's a very toxic agenda, but I, I think that um, people can be awakened, especially through education about, you know, what these people actually want for these folks is they they want to gobble up all the resources and assets in, in the world and they basically want you living in this form of, of perpetual serfdom for you and your family you said that there can be an awakening and i think to a certain extent some people are waking up right now and you could say that 
people were waking up with that Tea Party sort of revolution back however many years ago you want to say that was and Donald Trump and his his agenda of America first. Um, I think, again, we can talk about Myra Flores and there are others who are coming into office who represent a very different viewpoint. I certainly have a very different viewpoint. I want each individual to pursue and achieve as much as they humanly can. And it's hard for me to understand any other viewpoint on this. Education seems to be a place where history is getting watered down and also sliced and diced into pieces that are very almost anti-American, where we're, we're looking at all of our faults and not really the the goals and the, the triumphs and the higher pursuits and the, the, you know, the, the enlightenment, if you will, that led to the forming of this country. So is there enough of an awakening at the school level, you think, that people want their kids taught real history? For sure. It's crazy how few people, uh, especially the politicians, are willing to acknowledge that through our system, with all of its faults, has still created like the highest standard living of living in human history. And right. a, a poor person on welfare in America is generally better off than a rich person in a, in a developing country you know, any day of the week. So, so it, it, it just seems that this, um, it's of course this very toxic mentality that starts from a very early age, but I, I think you're right that there is this counter movement that is arising akin to, you know, like the, the Trump movement or the Tea Party or, or even years before that, um, the, the counter establishment movement and, uh, with the, especially with the election of Glenn Youngkin in, in the yeah. recent elections, um, school choice was the number one issue or, or just generally like this anti um, woke agenda in, in schools. And, and I think that that's vitally important. I, you know, I live in Florida and uh, it's one of Governor DeSantis's top priorities is, is combating all of this insanity in the public schools because I think the issue is that if you if you're indoctrinating eight nine year old kids, it's very difficult to reverse that process if they you know they're going through twelve years of uh, you know, authoritarian leftism and then you expect them to you know find the, the cause of freedom. It would become very difficult. So I think I think you're right that you know this battle for for the schools and this the CRT woke agenda and trying to reverse that, it, it might be the prevailing issue in November. It, it very well could be. And, and, and the more you have the National Education Association telling us that mothers should be called birthing persons or uterus havers or whatever it is that they want to call us, I think the, the more you see moms like me go, wait a minute, and really question what their aims are all about. I, 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 again, hear so much about the left and now we're not talking about, you know, traditional liberalism here. We're talking about leftism. And I just don't understand who they think it benefits. Like I, I, I it's so, it's so hard for me to get my head around why anyone would want to embrace this philosophy. What kind of answers do you come up with when you ask yourself that? To me, it's just it's just the people in charge are running this this psyop that has been working for decades. Um, well, this particularly applies to the Democrats. It's also in there in the Republican Party. But you know, if you look at like 
California, the, the power centers are like the Newsom family and the Pelosi family. And it's been like that for decades. Like, how has that happened? Is because they convince these uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles Democrats that they're going to bring them prosperity and, equal, and equity, excuse me, um, and, and that <laughs> it, you need to elect them. And what, what's fascinating is that it, it seems that we have this coming uh, electoral crisis for Democrats. And now Gavin Newsom has emerged as it seems to be the dark horse contender for the Democrats. So it's just, they they have done a great job that this, especially like this Democrat establishment in fooling people that they are going to bring them peace and happiness, maybe not prosperity, but they will bring you the best, most equal life. We have to keep slicing up this shrinking pie for equity purposes. And I think that I think to answer your question, I think that they're just very good at, at fooling people into giving handing over voluntarily handing over all of their agency to these politicians and to these bureaucrats. Holy mackerel, folks. Uh, it's a really interesting take, Jordan. I, I want to have one more bit of a conversation with you about covid because you've written a lot about this, a lot about Dr. Anthony Fauci and. I I get the feeling the powers that be want us to start getting scared again based on some of the things that I'm starting to read. So we'll talk with Jordan about that right after this. Gosh, since November of last year, the stock market has like plummeted, right? But gold has been on the rise. Have you noticed that? Gas prices are insane. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is even worse than it was a year ago. Heck, it's like the worst in 40 years. And we've got this war between Russia and Ukraine that we can only hope comes to an end soon. The markets don't like instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver because you need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. So why don't you call Legacy Precious Metals? You can ask them anything you want. Just give them a call. Be proactive while there's still time because remember good old 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains. Others kind of lost their retirements. Now, Legacy Precious Metals can advise you of all your options for investing in gold and silver, and you can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Jordan, here's another headline that caught my eye on the dossier. After month-long COVID bout, Fauci claims quad-vaxxed status prevented severe disease. Um, Just the headline makes me laugh because he said, you know, yeah, I was vaxxed, I was boosted, and then I was boosted a couple more times. Thank God, because otherwise, who knows what this four-month or this month-long COVID bout would have been had I not done those things. What's wrong with this picture in your mind? There's so many things wrong with this picture. <laughs> uh, the, the picture of, of credentialing Anthony Fauci, it started when they credentialed Anthony Fauci as the nation's foremost infectious disease expert. I'm sure you saw that 
written extensively in every corporate press outlet. Um, imagine describing a, a NASA bureaucrat as the foremost space expert in a world of Elon Musk's, right? It, it's a very simple thing. Like just because you've been working for 50 years in the federal bureaucracy, this does not make you an expert. If anything, it makes you maybe an expert at maintaining your status in the bureaucracy. Maybe I think he's definitely an expert at that. But um, I, I think it's just, it, we're just living in this Orwellian world right now in an Orwellian America where we are continually told to inject ourselves with the same uh, mRNA pharmaceuticals indefinitely and that that will somehow protect us. And, and you know, all there's all this anecdotal, but beyond anecdotal, there, there's plenty of statistical evidence that nothing really seems to be working. And, and you'd think that with all of this emerging evidence, whether it's the lockdowns, whether it's uh, you know, the, the vax passports, the masks, um, nothing is stopping people from getting sick with the respiratory virus. It's unfortunate. You know, I wish we had the tools to stop people from getting sick, but the reality is that we don't. And, and it's amazing that all of these um, academics, uh, so-called public health experts are telling us otherwise, because there's just, there's just no evidence. So I think it's worth just making a mockery of how ridiculous it is that Fauci says, Oh, although I, I was sick with COVID and I was taking all these Pfizer pills and I have all I have all my injections up to date, I was still sick uh, for a long time. <laughs> so, like statistically speaking, it's no it was no different than someone who did not take any of that stuff. Uh, you know, the outcome may have been the same, may have been better. So it's just it, it's ridiculous that people like Fauci would insist that because he he had all of these injections that that it saved him from a worse outcome. That's not really provable, is it? <laughs> I mean, no. he could have not taken any of the vaccines or the the whatever the medication is that he took a, after getting it and still been in the same boat. I mean, that is a possibility, right? Absolutely. It, it, it's very difficult to prove a negative. And, and then the yeah. issue there also is that they just make up like you have these institutions and these academic departments, they'll release some crazy study signed by like three scientists who are funded by Pfizer that yeah. there was just a recent one came out the other day that said like the 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 mRNA shot saved a hundred million lives. It's just like some absurd number. And then they their methodology is, is equally absurd. Um, and then the corporate press reports on it as if it's a fact. And now they say that we have studies showing that the vaccine saved 100 million lives. Like that's just kind of how these narratives are created. But is there any evidence or data actually proving that this stuff, whether it's it, it's the vaccines, the masks, the lockdowns, the, the social distancing stickers on the sidewalks, uh, saving how many lives? It's just they're continuing to make assertions that are completely detached from any real scientific rigor. The scientific rigor that is missing, some people are suggesting, is because really the, the data that we need, the data that we absolutely need and could tell us a lot more, isn't being provided by the CDC or the NIH. How, how would, do you agree with that? Do you think that, that, that there is a certain amount of data that they're just not willing to show? I, I think they're more um, worried about how to manipulate people into taking their next shot. So all of their agenda items are, are based on that. 
So the the idea that the CDC, I mean, rationally speaking, that these institutions should just have all of their data publicly available, and they should be working on informing the public. Because if you have an if you're openly informing the public, maybe they'll trust you a little more and, and trust of these institutions that is at an all time low. But it seems to me, after following this news cycle and reporting on it for over two years now, is that everything that they're doing is just based on how can we convince uh, John Smith to get his fifth vaccine? <laughs> and it's just and then they send Fauci out there every week on um, the, the Sunday shows and then yeah. they'll have the Pfizer executives writing Wall Street Journal columns about the levels of protection for the next shot. It's just, they want you in this indefinite panic cycle that involves taking their pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so it, it's just, it's just so ridiculous that the idea that the FDA and CDC are looking out for Americans health, it, it should have been debunked long ago when they produced the, the food pyramid that said that you should have like eight servings of bread every day. I, I think that they're, they've totally delegitimized themselves to anyone who's really been following their work. Well, and the interesting part is, you know, look, I, 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 I realize to some people we could be sounding like total conspiracy theorists, but the bottom line is that you've been covering this. There are others, Alex Berenson's been covering this. There is another Substack writer uh, who is, has a very humorous approach with an angry cat covering this. I don't know if you follow him, yeah. but it, it it's it's striking to me. But now you've also seen, I think people are catching on a little bit because this whole idea of a shot for the six-month-old to five-year-old crowd or the toddlers, well, my kids are teenagers. If, if I had had a toddler, there's no way I would give them this shot. And it looks like most Americans with young babies are not eager to give them this vaccine. What do the numbers show you? Yeah, so the, the government has already spent billions of dollars. Um, they just signed a new contract with Pfizer that's going to come out to $9 billion plus when all is said and done. And that includes like these infant doses. But you're right, the numbers, the numbers are very low. And that's a big concern to them because it's just bad PR if you're going to dump billions of dollars worth of products. So um, yeah, it, it, outside of like these major metropolitan areas, Hardly anyone with, with a kid under five years old is um, subjecting their their child to this, and for good reason. I mean, I reported on this when it came out um, last month and found that the U.S. was actually the only country in in the world that was doing this for for kids that were under three years old when they approved the um, the, the child shots. So uh, you don't. Uh, it's not always good to be the first mover, especially when it comes to experimental pharmaceutical products. Um, and the data shows very clearly that kids don't really have to worry about, statistically speaking, a statistical zero chance of having a, you know, a very, very serious outcome. You know, a one in a million is not statistically significant. And that's really what we're talking about here. So the idea that everyone needs to inject their kids with a pharmaceutical product that could potentially harm them. I mean, there, there are serious studies that are putting the number now at maybe one out of 1,000 or more than one in 1,000 are having a serious adverse event. Is that worth this one in a million chance plus? It, it just, 
so it never made sense to me if you're doing a rational you know, risk benefit analysis. I, I, I don't know that we are getting a rational <laughs> risk benefit analysis from the government or from the media. That's what's so sad. Now, I, I, I'll, if we factor you into the media, then yes, we are. But if you say to someone, okay, your child has a one in one million chance of having an adverse reaction to getting COVID. On the other hand, they have a one in 1000 chance of having an adverse reaction to the to the shot. To me, it's like, don't get the shot. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And yet um, somehow it's just not getting, uh, maybe it is getting translated. And that's why we are seeing such a low number of people subjecting their infants to, to this shot. But it is, it's crazy. In a way, what you just described about the Pfizer relationship with the government sounds a little bit like the Defense Department relationship with the government. You know, we need to make some money here. Please please advise these shots that by all means. I, it, it, do I have a parallel there? Is that accurate? For sure. And and Pfizer, especially, you know, the, the number one of pharmaceutical salesmen in the U.S. cartel, I reported on there, they are making an incredible amount of money and, and the shareholders love it. The executives are becoming billionaires. They are profiting, not revenue, but profiting now over $9 billion per quarter um, they're expected to bring in well over $100 billion in revenue this year. They doubled their numbers last year, and they're going to double them again this year in terms of both profit and revenue. So it's been an unbelievable coup for the pharmaceutical companies. The, the idea that these shots are free should be totally dismissed by any <laughs> decent American because <laughs> you're, you're paying for it for sure. Through your taxes. You're paying for it. There's no such thing as a free lunch to borrow an old phrase. Before I let you go, Jordan, you're, you're, you're a young guy with a really interesting perspective. I feel like we're in a place in the United States of America right now and maybe the world, but really here in what should be the freest, most prosperous country on God's green earth we're in this place of unbelievable tumult where we've got almost two media factions battling each other. The ones that are propagating or, or you know, all of the, the messages from the White House and from the administration and those like you who are trying to say, look, I'm paying attention to this. I'm digging where others won't listen to me. I've got something to tell you that is counter to what they say. And then you get the side so entrenched in their corners that they start just calling each other these names to make everyone seem like a whack job. Mm -hmm. uh, what keeps you hopeful for this country? Well, I, I think with the advancements of technology, it has become easier than ever for someone with a platform to tell everyone about what they're thinking, what they're reporting. And the old guard is really just a concoction of gatekeepers. They want to, the, the people working for the New York Times, the appeal for working for the New York Times, Washington Post, is that you get to tell people what the news is. And they really don't like the idea that other people have their own perspective on what the news is. So I think that this like, this lashing out that we're witnessing is that effect is that they're, they're slowly losing power over time. And, and I'm very optimistic that these that these institutions will continue to degrade themselves to the point where their funders and these are not profitable institutions their funders are just going to start cutting them loose and you're seeing this through you know BuzzFeed Daily Beast you know these very propagandistic uh, outlets um, 
people want the truth and they're not going to just listen to these gatekeepers because of their old reputations. And I think with technology has come a lot of censorship, but with the advent of increased technology has also come the ability to you know, spread whatever message you want. And it's up to the people who are listening to decide whether it's legitimate or not. Well, I'm glad you're one of those voices out there. Your message seems rather sane, which is why I wanted to have you on. And I appreciate it. And uh, again, everyone can find them on Substack. It's the dossier, uh, D-O-S-S-I-E-R, in case you forgot how to spell dossier. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Michelle, it's an honor. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave and do good. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key and and we hear it we've been told it ad nauseum you know diversify diversify and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback they're in trouble diversity means asset class diversity as well you know some real estate um, some precious metals these are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially and, and we know that they happen they happen continuously and they recur so that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, uh, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested, and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. 
And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold and this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, in the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why Legacy Precious Metals is the place to go? I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, because I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. is I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see it, what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us, and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008, and I know a lot of people mm -hmm. do. And, it, 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 you know, that was a crash, and there have been other crashes. But why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's, it's the safe place. Right. When, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm -hmm. So l let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. Yeah, uh, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that. But 
we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything costs you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're, they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well legacypminvestments.com legacypminvestments.com I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it just talk to them I mean just ask them see what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers uh, Charles I appreciate your time thanks for this it's been very educational my pleasure my pleasure thank you <laughs> 